0: Well, good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. Um, It is fun to be at the church where Carl and Christine serve, because we were in seminary together way back in the day, and uh, it is fun to get to be a part of each other's ministry once in a while. I get to see them at pastor retreats. So it is a beautiful morning, and it was pretty dark and chilly in Grand Rapids, so I hope Pastor Carl's doing okay in his marathon. We'll see how how he handled that. He's, he's a pretty tough guy, so I'm excited that he got to run this morning. So Ephesians 4, I'm not going to offer you what Rhonda did with the children's uh, message this morning. Pick a verse you'd like me to talk about in, and, and we'll run with that. But actually, I have something that I feel like God has said, here's where we need to go this morning. Andy Grammer is a singer-songwriter. He's a guy with a lot of energy and a lot of creativity, and he's just a lot of fun to see in concert. Uh, my husband Ben and I saw him a couple of years ago pre-COVID at a Hope Network fundraiser in Grand Rapids. And as we stood on the floor in front of the stage in the sea of 20-somethings, singing along with him at the top of their lungs, I was just intrigued at just kind of the messages that he sang in his songs. He's a guy that I believe is on a spiritual journey. Oh, he's not a person of faith in Christ for sure, but I, I believe he's on some kind of journey. So one of the songs that he sang is called 85, and I won't sing it for you, but this is what some of the lyrics say. There's a lie that I believed. The more that I got, the more I'd be free. So I've been away making the green. See, the more that I get, the more that I need. So pray for my, pray for my, pray for my soul. I got a disease and it is a cold. Caught it so easy like the common cold, tossing and tossing and turning around, trying and trying to sweat it all out, kicking the habit that's keeping me down. Oh, I don't want to be 85, singing, oh no. I think I missed it. I was chasing money. I don't want to be 85. I got a big house. But my heart is ugly. You see, Andy Grammer is on this trajectory of being popular and successful as a musician and an artist. And he recognized along the way that he was chasing the wrong priorities. And he wrote this song asking people actually to pray. And as I, we were standing in the crowd, all the crowd singing, pray for my, pray for my, pray for my soul. I'm like, wow, all these kids are asking for prayer. Because they don't want to be chasing the wrong things. And so I want to ask you this morning, think about the life you're living. What are you chasing? What is getting your attention? Is it a person? Is it people? Is it a responsibility? Is it a cause? Is it a dream? What is worth your time, your energy, and your focus? Some of us are paying close, close attention to success. Now we want to be number one at work or at school or on our sports team or in the arts. And if we can't be number one, then at least we don't want to be, or we want to be in the top 10 or we don't want to be in the bottom, right? Some of us are in pursuit of safety. It might mean that I don't want to get hurt in relationships, so I'm going to build a whole lot of walls around my heart so that nobody can make me feel bad. Or it might be safety literal, like, I don't want anybody stealing anything from my house, so we've got security cameras set up all around and all sorts of gadgets to try to protect us from somebody that might steal from us. Or maybe safety comes in the form of having a big savings account. You know how the economy can go up and down, and and we want to be sure that we're not going to be caught without. Some of us might be pursuing popularity. You think about how many people can I influence in my life? So if I'm on social media, how many followers do I have? Or how busy is my schedule each week? Can I prove my worth by being busy? And some of us might be captivated by an addiction. Oh, It it could be to a substance, but it also might be to an activity, or to a perception, or an appearance. You see, there are messages all around us and messages within us that seek to set the trajectory of our lives, and those messages seek to inform how we spend our time each day. May we be aware of the voices that we're listening to so that we might pay attention to the things that matter the most. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, what are you chasing? What's got your attention? And as you hold your answers to those questions, we're going to take a look at what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4. His letter guided followers back then in that complex city that was full of lots of chaos and disruption and disagreements and a lot of different messages around what people ought to be pursuing in life. He talked to people back then about what it looked like to follow Jesus, but his words are so appropriate for us today because something is calling each one of us but more important, someone is calling us. So you've been in this series on, in Ephesians, and I trust that the first three chapters of Ephesians have set the stage well for what we're going to talk about today. But just a quick review. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse, starting in verse 4, we read this. In love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the richness of God's grace, which he has lavished upon us. If we jump over to chapter 3, starting in verse 17, we read this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long... And high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And so then we get to Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. This message is a call to an adventure It's a call to something that has purpose and meaning that goes beyond our individual lives. I find it remarkable that Paul is in prison when he writes these words. He's stuck in a cell, chained to some some guards, and yet he knows that his life has a calling. And he does not let his circumstance interfere with living out that call. And so he urges people back in Ephesus and he urges you and me today to live a life worthy of the calling. And Paul's understanding of this life that he's living and the life that all followers of Jesus are called to live is grounded in God's intention since the beginning of time. It's grounded in love, in God's character. God's love is beyond our imagination, but as Ephesians 1 talks about, it meets us in the deepest places of our lives offering us forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. From this foundation of love, Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling. Now before we get to the calling part of this, I want to pause for a moment because I don't want us to miss something essential. We are called to live a life. You have a life that is worth living. Did you hear that? Your life is worth Living. Too many people in our world can't see that today. Whether it be, um, some people can't hope for something like that or even live like they do believe that is true. It might be that depression or anxiety or rejection speaks to these vulnerable, tender places in our souls, and we begin to um, feel like the life that I live doesn't really matter all that much because I can't make that much of a difference in this world. I think all the things we've been dealing with around the pandemic for the past year and a half has certainly amplified that in people's experience, that isolation can lead to depression and anxiety and feeling like, my life really doesn't matter all that much. And when we start believing that message, then we start acting out of it. And our feelings of hurt or rejection can then cause us to reject other people. Back when I first started in ministry, about 30 years ago, I was a youth pastor. And so I was speaking at a, high, at a middle school retreat in Wisconsin at, at a covenant camp there. And I was talking about kind of this idea that God, God loves you and God has a plan for your life. And so I was asking kids to think about what is it that makes you happy or what makes you feel good. And so I had a few of the, the middle school kids on stage with me. And so I asked this one boy, I said, Hey, Mark, what makes you happy today? And he looked at me and he goes, I'm happy I don't look like you. <laughs> And there was this weird laughter in the group, and like over 100 kids were like, is that funny? I'm not sure. And I looked at him, and I said, I'm glad you don't look like me either. (laughs) That would be weird. But I thought, wow, this this kid is struggling, and he was like, maybe I can take a shot at the speaker, and that'll make me feel better, because everybody will laugh at me, and it'll be awesome. We do weird things, or we say weird things sometimes, when we feel desperate, or when we feel hurt, or rejected by people. And sometimes in those awful places, suicide can seem like that is the best response. On the other end of the spectrum, for other people, pride, success, arrogance, or personal aspirations can speak to the deepest places in our souls where we believe that what matters in my life is what I can make of it, how I can succeed, what I can do, to have position or power. That what I make of myself is all that matters. And again, acting out of this perspective also causes trouble. Because we can begin stepping on people or using them for our own gain and our own hopes. Rejection or achievement can lead people to living a lie. The rejection lie is that my life doesn't matter. The achievement lie is that all I make of my life is what matters. My life matters because I can accomplish. But here's the truth. You have a life that's worth living because of God's love. You have a life that's worth living because God has put you here for a reason. And so in Ephesians 2, chapter 10, we read, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. You are God's masterpiece and so am I. And because of that, God has put something important in each person's life in this world. We all exist for a reason and we are created to do good things in God's kingdom, to contribute in our own unique ways to what he longs to do in the world. So the very first point I want to make this morning is because of God's great love, Your life is worth living. May we not sell ourselves short and give in to live for something less than what we were created for. Oh, I don't want to be 85, and I don't want you to be 85, singing, oh no, I think I missed it. May the love of God draw us away from lesser dreams, from lesser goals, and from distractions that are superficial, that are less than what God hopes for us. So if we embrace this reality that my life is worth living, how do we do do that? I believe it begins with slowing down, with taking time and silence and solitude each day, even if it's five minutes, to settle into God's presence so that we can remember and begin to understand God's love that Paul writes is long and wide and high and deep and ought to fill our hearts with who he is. As we spend time in silence and solitude, God's love then begins to push away the lies that we believe and give us a new perspective to help us understand how our life can matter in his kingdom work. Esther is a woman I've known for quite a number of years, and she's a mentor to me. She's a spiritual director that I've been meeting with since I moved to Grand Rapids. When she was in her career, she was a business administrator in a bank, and she had a long, successful career. She'd been widowed twice, has a daughter who lives halfway around the country. She is somebody who has known love and joy and great connection, but she's also known deep grief and isolation and pain in her journey. And over the years, she has cultivated her relationship with God in this pattern of solitude and silence, saying, God, I need your love to define me, not my circumstances. I need your love to heal the pain in my life so that I can be a part of your work in this world. So Esther's not a superstar like Andy Grammer. She's not on stage singing to thousands of people, making lots of money. But she's a friend who sits with individuals and listens and asks good questions and pays attention to maybe how God wants to speak his love into people's lives. She prays with people who are old or sick or forgotten. She walks with people in recovery through their addiction. And as a spiritual friend, she seeks to help people she meets each day connect with the love of Jesus. I know Esther won't get to the age of 85 and think, oh, I missed it. Because she's chasing after God's love to let that sit in her heart to transform how she interacts with people. And so we go back to Ephesians 4.1, where Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling. We've got a life worth living. Now, what's this calling that we're drawn to? Well, one day, a lawyer asked Jesus when he was walking along the road, teacher, what matters most in this world? And in Matthew 22, we see Jesus' response. He says, Well, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In his book called, Mark Labberton describes our calling this way. He says, The heart of God's call is this, that we receive and live the love of God for us and for the world. This is the meaning of the two great commandments. Our call is loving communion with God and God's world. It encompasses our identity, our community, and our activity. So how do we live a life worthy of the calling? How do we live connected to God's love for us and for the world? Well, Paul doesn't leave us to guess. He makes it quite clear in verse 2. He says, develop habits, virtues, fruits of the Spirit, They're going to help you walk this life each day. And so he goes on in verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. A life worth living of the calling means that you and I pay attention first to our own character development. He says, I want you to cultivate humility and gentleness, patience, and a love that bears with people. Now, as I was preparing for this message and sitting with these verses, I felt quite convicted as I was interacting with people in my life. Um, You can ask my husband. Um, It's often that I am interacting with people, and I get way more concerned with evaluating how they're doing, and I jump to think about how I need to respond to correct them instead of thinking about my own weaknesses or my own limited perspective. And so... We sit with these verses from this verse from Paul saying, Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. And that's what it means to live this life worthy of the calling. And so to be humble, let's talk about that real quick. It means I'm going to cultivate an awareness of my own frailty. I'm going to have an honest assessment about my weaknesses and my strengths. And I'm going to value other people just as I seek to value myself. To be humble actually means I need God, because I am not God. I need God's forgiveness. I need him to shape me and change my life. Being humble means turning away from self-centeredness and what I want. If we move to being gentle, that means being kind, tender, respectful of people, about turning away from harshness or violence. Being gentle means we're not going to try to harm people, but we're going to work toward what is good for them. Now, gentleness isn't about being wishy washy or a pushover, it means being respectful in our interactions with people. The third characteristic Paul encourages us to foster is patience. That means we will accept delays, problems, suffering. We'll be non anxious or willing to wait which gets tough in this instant microwave fast food world that we live in. I want something and I want it right now. Patience means we let go of our agendas and we say, okay, I'll be, I'll be willing to wait. And finally, bearing with one another in love means we've got to care for others and attend to what they need as we listen to them and value what they have to say. It's about long-term commitment rather than somebody irritating me and walking away from them and saying, forget it, I'm not going to deal with you. It's about sitting with somebody for the long haul, committing to people. It means um, holding humility, gentleness, and patience wrapped up in this relationship with people. So if we're supposed to be humble and gentle, patient, and bear with one another in love, how do we do this? I believe it's a two-part answer. The first one is a confession. It's about prayer. Earlier, we prayed the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so as we think about these characteristics, we can say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I need to be humble and say, I don't get it right all the time. Sometimes I screw up and I say things that aren't helpful to people. And so we confess reactions that are harsh. And we ask the Spirit to highlight ways that we can interact with each other in better and more healthy ways. Being patient or confessing our need for patience is that we recognize when we're getting anxious, that when delays are making things difficult for us, that we say, God, I need your help to give me strength to wait. To, bear, to confess bearing with one another in love means we confess when people irritate us. and <laughs> We say, they're driving me nuts. I feel like my kid's a pain. I feel like my best friend is being really irritating. And we say, God, I recognize this is going on inside of me. Would you help me remember that I'm a pain <laughs> sometimes too? And then we begin to practice these characteristics. It's about building our character muscles. Just like you're going to have to build, lift weights and do reps to build muscle Paul wants us to build our character muscles. And so we begin to practice these habits. So in humility, I'm going to pause and pray, remembering that it is not my job to correct or fix other people. So when I have that temptation to correct or confront or to jump on somebody to make a point, instead of doing that, I recognize that reaction in me and I stop and I say, God, help me be humble in my interaction with this person. If we practice patience, it means, or I'm sorry, if we practice gentleness, before we speak, we consider how is what I want to say to this person going to be heard by them? Is it going to be heard in a harsh way? Are they going to react poorly because I'm not being kind or respectful of them? How can I reshape what I want to say to somebody to communicate respect to them? If I'm going to practice patience, what does it look like for me to let go of my agenda and choose to wait? Again, it's not my job to control or convince, but to trust Jesus with the people in my life that I care about or the circumstances in my life that I care about. To practice love that bears with, one an, with others, I ask the question how can I best show love to this person? so that they can embrace Jesus, so that in my interaction with them, they can find Christ. Paul Burns is a senior executive at Twitter. Now, you might not think somebody that is a, and he's a Christian, he's a builder, a dreamer, a husband, and a father. And you might think of Twitter, and all you might hear about Twitter in the news might seem like it's just this evil entity that's in our world that creates chaos. But Paul Burns is a Christian, and he's a senior executive who helps brands, businesses, and people understand the power of conversation to change the world. At work, he does some high-level organization trying to help facilitate conversation to help people get better at having conversation. But he also was wondering, how do I do my job and also live out my faith? And he decided to start this weekly gathering of Christians and Jesus seekers to say, I just want to get people together once a week to have conversation. And he calls it Twitter Faith. And so he gathers these people virtually now to meet every week because he recognizes the things that they are encountering each and every day at work are great burdens that are global, that are worldwide. And so he wants to give believers a chance to talk about the weight of their work and the weight of the the messaging and the weight of the things that they have to do. But they don't just get together and talk about the concerns that they're seeing highlighted around the world. They actually pray for these things. So every week, this Twitter faith group gathers to say, wow, we're addressing or we're encountering very complex problems but let's lift these before Jesus in prayer, asking him to intervene in this world. And so, as there are uprisings in countries and factions that are fighting, they pray for that. As people are immigrating or migrating because of violence or because of hunger, they pray for that. As people encounter earthquakes and floods and fires and asking for help, they lift all these needs to Jesus every week. I think that's a remarkable thing, and I find it a little bit comforting to know that somebody in that system is actually seeking to bring Jesus into his workplace, to say, how can, how can Christ make a difference in this world that we're living in? So Paul believes that, in, Paul Burns, believes that an open, healthy, and loving conversation around topics, even when we disagree, is a way that followers of Christ can actually move toward more being like Jesus. And he's committed to those conversations each and every week at work because you can imagine that the Christians that he works with all don't agree about everything that they encounter in their job. But he's saying, unless we have conversations and we are gentle and humble and kind and respectful of each other, how else are we going to navigate the complexities of our work each day and the complexities of our world? And so in our culture of polarities and division, Imagine if Jesus' followers live a life worthy of the call, committed to cultivating habits of humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. I believe if we committed to these habits and these virtues and these practices, it would have a transformational effect on our relationships, it would have a transformational effect on our church communities and the big C church around the world. Living like this would change interactions in public spaces where there would be new kinds of connections and conversations, and perhaps we would start listening to each other in more healthy ways and be able to have more incredible dialogue around this love of God and the kind of kingdom Jesus desires for this world. You see, Paul writes, as chapter 4 goes on, that this kind of living embraces the unity of the Spirit. It builds bonds of peace. It graces the church with gifts. People are equipped to serve, and we all become mature together. And then a platform is created where we can speak the truth and love. I find it interesting that Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling. And he doesn't jump right to you, and speak the truth and love to each other. Like, get at it. But he said, no, build all these characteristics and build this community based on these characteristics. So then you can have honest conversations in loving ways with each other. I think it's a beautiful vision for what the church and what the body of Christ can become. So you have a life worth living. What are you chasing? Is life with God at the very foundation of your attention? Is your intention each day to embrace the God of love? Your life is worth living, and our lives together are worth living. Your life matters in the kingdom of God and our character as the body of Christ matters in the kingdom of God. And so, may we live a life with God and his love at the center, with Christ as the head of this body. May we pay attention to where he is leading and guiding and taking us. So as I close this morning, I want to ask you, what is one virtue you might consider paying attention to this week? Is it humility or gentleness, patience, or bearing with one another in love? What might it look like for you to cultivate that characteristic? I want to encourage you to take a step closer through spending solitude and silence with God this week and spending time in confession saying, God, I need your help in this specific area of my life, that I might be transformed, that you might transform the relationships in the world around me. Let's not be 85, singing, oh no, I think I missed it. But may we, meet, may we chase after the things that Christ has created us for. So as I close this morning, I want to end with the, the first four verses of Ephesians chapter four from the message version, because I love how Eugene Peterson translates this particular passage. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet run, on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You were all called to travel on the same road, in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for the invitation to live a life walking with you. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us understand what it means to embrace your love and to let that love push the lies that we believe out of our lives. May we learn what it means to embrace humility and gentleness, patience and bearing with kind of love, that we might be a part of this work that you have created us for in this world. And so we offer ourselves to you, grateful for all you long to do in us and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.